So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1335, all things women and investing with wealth advisor, Rosalind Glenn. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It's Ask Farnoosh Friday, March 25th, 2022. We are wrapping here our month-long Friday series where in honor of Women's History Month, we are dedicating the Ask Farnoosh episodes to supporting women's financial independence. Thanks to our partner Prudential, we've had on some fabulous expert guests to navigate meaty topics like how to build financial resilience, how to plan for your future, how to navigate life insurance. Do you even need it if you're not working, if you're a stay-at-home parent, if you're a single woman. How to Prepare for Retirement was last week. And now today we're talking about all things investing. Our guest is Rosalind Glenn, who has over 30 years of experience helping clients reach their fullest financial potential. She is the president and CEO of Destiny Wealth Advisors and Consulting. She works with individuals, businesses, churches, and nonprofits in developing strategies to ensure their longevity and sustainability. She's also a representative of Prudential Financial Planning Services. On the show, Rosalind and I talk about the female investing gap. Why does it exist? What can we do about it? And by the way, why women are better investors, how to begin investing in stocks, not just your 401k, but actually in stocks, in the market, opening up a brokerage account. And we've got many of your investing questions that came in throughout the weeks to answer. By the way, with this collaboration with Prudential, there is a new fantastic hub where you can get more of these insights. If you go to prudential.com slash so money, you can check it all out there. So without further ado, let's get the show going. Rosalind Glenn, welcome to So Money. Happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation with you today. I can't think of anything more important sometimes to talk about than women and investing. It's, you know, the only way to really grow your money is to invest. Last week, we spoke about retirement as one goal. We often encourage people to invest towards that because the long-term goal, and we covered a lot of that. So Mm -hmm. if you missed that episode, be sure to go back and listen to my conversation with Lucy Chamberlain from Prudential. But today, Rosalind, really looking forward to expanding on that topic of investing and talking Mm -hmm. about all of the different ways that women can invest, should invest, Before we get to that, and we've got some listener questions, let's do some table setting and and just maybe give our listeners a sense from where you stand as a financial planner, a professional financial planner. Why is there an investing gap with women? Uh, We know this exists and I have some thoughts on why it exists, but would love to hear from your perspective. I think the biggest one has to stem back to that whole wage gap with women. All of this is connected in one way or another, right? Women are more likely to be out of the workforce for some period of time, whether it's to care for children or to care for aging parents. So we don't have the same length of time that men have as it relates to investing. The other, what I think is a strong issue is that women Um, Even though statistics show that when women invest, 
We make better decisions. We earn more on our investments over time. The lower wage gap and the lack of confidence kind of causes us not to invest on the same level as men. So gender gap, career advances, um, less income uh, over time, all of those things, I think, add to us not being, or to society, thinking of women as not being investors at, at large, right? Because we right. don't do it as much as men do. Yeah. And I'm looking at a study that Prudential did not too long ago on this confidence gap that you touch on. What is contributing to the confidence gap other than, of course, the fact that I always say, you know, as women, we haven't been invited into this financial world of ours for quite, I mean, we're kind of new to it, relatively speaking, right. right? We weren't even allowed to open up a credit card without a man co-signing for us in this century. Let's just say it was in the 70s. Right, right. So we're playing catch up to some extent. And so you have to assume that there's going to be these growing pains and maybe these confidence gaps. But what else do you see contributing to a confidence gap? Well, I, I think it's more with uh, women in particular, we are less likely to have the time to do the research. And when we're sure of things, we can move forward full speed ahead, making things happen. That's what we do as women, right? But when we are not as sure about it, we have to kind of step back and, and you know, take a look at it. And as it relates to investing, the key to investing, from my perspective, is to do it as early as you can, to do it as consistently as you can, for as long as you can. And when you do that, in my opinion, you're always going to outpace the market. So it's the getting started piece. And women just don't take the time to kind of get started because we always think, I have time. I'll do that later. I'll get to it. But then it sets us back in terms of the investment strategies, because the key is to do it as early as you can, as consistently as you can, for as long as you can. And when we speak to the investment piece or the confidence piece, which I think is what you asked specifically, I think it's just more of because we don't know what we don't know. Um, we don't always trust the resources that are available for us to know because this industry that we're in has been, I'm going to say, dominated by men. We don't have people like us to talk to. And so we don't make it a priority. Right. So what I'm hearing from you is that the key to investing successfully, timing, consistency, trust. I didn't hear at all. You have to be an investing genius. And I have to say that for me, at least, that was a little bit of my block in the early years where I thought I had to have all of the answers before I could invest because, well, this is a risk and I need to do all my homework and I'm a very studious person and I do all my research, Rosalind. And, and so it's comforting then to hear that you don't actually have to be you don't have to have all the answers. And right. I think that that says something about the confidence gap. Whereas I think there are some folks out there that pretend they have all the answers and they know everything Absolutely. about investing <laughs> and we consider them the pros. Um, right. So that can be intimidating for a first time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I'll say um, I've, I've been in this industry, uh, the financial in- industry for 30 years. I've been with Prudential for the last 10 of those years. Um, And as much as I like to present that I am the end all and be all and know all, um, the truth of the matter is none of us can ever know everything, right? Mm 
And with the amount of, you know, mutual funds that are out there, with the amount of investment that we get to choose from, that is you know, my shameless plug for saying you have to work with a planner or an advisor who can help you sort through all of that. You, you're not supposed to know. I tell my doctor clients and my lawyer clients, I could never come in and do what they do the way they do it, right? Um, I don't know the differences. However, when we talk about money, um, when we talk about what is available to us, I am licensed to know that. I have to have training to know that. And so I spend my time learning that and I help my clients to sort through what is necessary. How do you reach your goals and objectives? Because it's relative to the individual. Well, we're going to get to some listener questions, which are very personal, and we're going to answer some individualized questions. But before we kick it off, Rosalind, please give us some insights into what encouraged you to either begin investing or dedicate your career to helping uh, individuals, in particular women, uh, build wealth through investing. Well, um, my my interest became because I am a woman, right? Um, And I actually had the privilege of working with my church some years ago, actually back in 1991, to open up a small credit union. Um, And working with the folks there in the credit union and the members of the credit union um, sparked an interest in me to say, how can we help you learn how to budget? How can we help you learn how to save? And we did those things. And then once we get to the savings piece, the next step, of course, is investing and protecting your assets and that sort of thing. And so um, I do have a very strong interest in women. Um, I have seen, you know, because, you know, historically men have been breadwinners, if you will. Um, But the challenge is women live longer than men. So ultimately, women end up having to manage the resources. And in this day and age, as we are, we are as women being the breadwinners, right? We are the, the, the high earners in our homes. And so we have to have a different mindset about how we manage our households. And so that's what kind of sparked the interest for me and has kept me interested because I want women to feel confident. I want us to feel and know the contributions that we can make. And women particularly are more disciplined savers. We're more purposeful in, you know, how we manage our money. Um, We do better things with our money. We support our communities more with our money. And so I just think that as women, we have to know and understand money and how it works in order to contribute to what I'd like to call a a better world, right? And I say that all the time. When women make more, the world becomes a better place. I want that on my gravestone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, so as I mentioned, Rosalind, last week, we dedicated the episode to retirement savings. And before we kick it off, like, when should women start to invest above and beyond for retirement? I often think of that as the primary long-term savings goal, uh, assuming you max out your 401k at work or your IRAs. Is that when the natural next step is to look at like a brokerage account or alternative investments? So I think you do that soon as possible. I have some young clients who, as soon as they get their first job, we are talking about opening up brokerage accounts. Yes, you should be contributing to your 401ks, particularly if your company is matching. Yes, you should have, um, you know, Roth IRA 
all of that is absolutely possible and you should have it. But you should also have what I call um, an emergency account. And just as a rule of thumb for myself, I say to my clients, you need to have, you know, one to three months in a easily money market account. And then once you get that three months of your living expenses there above that, we need to be putting the rest of that in some type of brokerage account, depending on what your goals and objectives are. All right, let's go to the mailbag. There's a, a bunch of questions here. I'm going to start with Rockies, who DM'd me on Instagram. And um, her question is really about the mechanics, the how to invest. She says, I'm looking to invest. Should I pick a self-investing account or a robo-account? In other words, an account where she goes in and picks her stocks and her funds or a robo or I always say like a digital platform, right? That prompts you with questions about your risk tolerance, your goals, your time horizon, and then picks a basket of investments for you automatically gets you started. I kind of like the latter because I'm lazy and I also trust (laughs) the algorithms. Uh, What do you think about that, Rosalind? So I, I do agree if that is your method of choice, because you have to, there has to be some, method as to why you do what you do the way you do it. But I'll also say that I am a strong component of talking with someone who knows the business. What the um, algorithm can't do that a human can is to know and understand clearly what your goals and objectives are, because you should be investing based on what those things are. And for each one of those, how you invest, the risk tolerance for what you invest may be different. And so I am a a strong proponent of why everybody needs to be speaking with a financial advisor, because at some point you are going to need the assistance, no matter what level of income you are on. Yes, to your point, the robo investors, that is a, a way, but I say you have to tread lightly there, because if you don't understand yourself and you don't understand what investing really is, you know, you may select something that's very aggressive and then lose it and say, well, this was for my retirement. When had you spoken to somebody, we might have advised differently. Right. You're right about that. I made the mistake once of uh, going on myself and opening up an account, not realizing it was an IRA. And I didn't want a retirement mm-hmm. account. I just wanted a plain brokerage account. And here I am <laughs> locked in for <laughs> until 59 right. and a half. I can't touch this money without penalty. Ideally, yes, a uh, uh, maybe a robo-advisor where there are lower fees, but is also assigns you a human, not even so much for like the questions of what is this or what is that. But I find that sometimes the real value in working with a person is that human touch point, right? That person who can listen to you and provide an empathetic response, which again, you know, mm-hmm. technology for as much as we love it, we haven't um, perfected that part of it yet. And I hope we don't right. because that would be really scary um, and, and weird. Right. I agree. <laughs> All right. So I hope that helps Rockies and others listening. Sarah has a question about what? Okay. So I've got the investment portfolio. I've opened it up. Now, what am I investing in? Where should I begin to choose these investments, particularly in her case, she's interested in individual stocks. Do you even recommend individual stocks at this point, or are we just talking funds these days? Well, I think you can diversify your portfolio and have a combination of mutual funds and individual stocks. 
And when you start looking at individual stocks, I always say to my clients, look at the things that you support, the places that you support, the um, uh, the things that you buy so that you are investing back into yourself. And so if you shop at, I don't know, Target a lot, you know, maybe then you look at, you know, buying Target stock because when you're shopping there, then you're you're increasing your own value. Maybe there's a specific company that you actually support because you like what they're doing. It matters. It's the value. It brings value to you. That's kind of where I start with telling my clients who want to do the individual investing. If you're really into investing, to look at what the future, right? Invest into the future. Just be clear and make sure you understand what you're investing in before you do it. Do your due diligence, whether that's working with someone to help you do your due diligence or whether you are the researcher naturally yourself, whatever you invest in. Make sure you do your due diligence to understand it and know how you're going to get your return. I say never invest in anything you don't understand. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of people in crypto Absolutely. that don't get it, but that's another day, Rosalyn. Uh, but thank you for your <laughs> thoughts on that. You know, earlier we were talking about the confidence gap and Anne has a question related to that where she says, you know, I think I have enough money on paper. This includes investments, but my financial anxiety never goes away. This idea of like, what is enough, I think comes up Mm -hmm. uh, in our lives from time to time. And and what would you say to her if she was in your office? I spend a lot of time answering that question and not necessarily answering it, but asking the questions that help my clients answer it for themselves, because it is relative. You know, what you need to manage your lifestyle and your household is totally different from what I need to manage my lifestyle and my household. And so we ask the questions to help people to come to the level of what is important to them, because what is enough is answered when you know what is important to you. If it's any consolation, I don't know that you ever get to a sure I've got it. It's all right. This is enough. I'm on this right track, particularly us as women, um, because we are always thinking about what the future holds and we are always looking ahead. And so give yourself some grace. But, you know, we cannot be worried about money. I I think that as an advisor, because of what society and and how we have attached our self-worth to our net worth, it causes anxiety. So getting to a comfort level about who you are as a woman, point blank period, as a person, getting to that helps you get to a comfort level when you start talking about how much money I need, because it is relative. You're right. So it sounds like the work really in getting closer to that answer of what is enough is first knowing who you are, what you value, what your goals are. Because right, if you don't have any sense of what is anchoring you, you can't put a price on that. You're just always looking over at someone else's life or I'm aspirational too and I'm ambitious, but that is exhausting when you feel like you don't have quote unquote enough and you're always chasing um, I said to yep. my financial advisor when we first started working together years ago, um, she's like, what do, what do you really want for you? You know, what's your, what's your goal here? And I said, honestly, I want to not have to worry about money. And it's not because I wanted her to make me 
a billionaire, you know, or work together towards making endless money. It was more that I wanted to feel like I had enough and then some where um, I had enough to support what I could predict. And then a little bit Mm -hmm. for the unpredictable. We hope that the unpredictable doesn't happen, but we of course all know that that's not, uh, we have to always prepare for uh, surprises. Absolutely. I don't think anyone ever says, man, I got too much money. I got too much money. (laughs) No one ever says that, right? Ever. And I was just going to add to that point. It's, It's really knowing that you are enough. And if you can get to the point where you are enough, then the the money seems to follow because you will do all of the things that you need to do to make sure that you are okay, that your family is okay, that the things that you value in the world are supported by your efforts. And, and so understanding all of that comes from within you and knowing you are enough. And when you can figure out that you are enough, you'll figure out that you have enough. I love that. Well, let's shift a little bit to younger investors. Cal asks, how to teach my 13-year-old about investing? What's a healthy place to start? Again, uh, the things that are important to the, the younger generation, having money conversations, period. Education is key to being, you know, having a solid financial foundation. You know, it depends on your home and, and how you learn about money. I came from a home that we always had what we needed, but the truth of the matter is, is we probably were, were, would be considered, you know, on the lower echelon, right? And I had to work for everything that I got. So starting to teach those work ethics, my, my niece asked me for some money at some point when she was younger. Um, and I remember saying to her, you know, well, I don't have it. She's like, well, just go to the thing and get it. And I'm trying to figure out, well, what thing are you talking about? (laughs) When she was referencing the ATM machine because she had seen her parents drive up, you know, just get money out. So I'm like, well, you can't just go to the thing and get it. It's not wrong. So having the the conversation and and starting with basic savings, maybe set them up on an allowance. My kids are a lot younger than they're not in their teens yet. But I think what one of the things I would consider if there was interest, um, or if not, I'll just force them is to learn about investing through, you know, there's a lot of online, you know, no stakes investing games where you can pretend like you're investing in, mm-hmm. you know, the Disney's and the McDonald's and all these companies that maybe they're more familiar with. I always say start with what you're familiar with to at least mm-hmm. play with some play money, like some monopoly money and play and learn that way. Learn about compounding, learn about volatility, learn about buying and holding and the benefits of that. And so there's no real money, but I mean, there's so many virtual simulations that can uh, drive home a lot of these great principles for kids. Now, I love real estate. The audience knows this. And Bhavna writes about investing in real estate. Her question specifically is, you know, she wants to get into this alternative investment category. This isn't a home she wants to buy to live in, but she's looking to maybe buy a condo as an investment. Mm -hmm. Or this is a newer offering in the marketplace. You can um, contribute to a fund. Good Egg is one example where you're contributing small amounts of money Smaller, I should say, not small, but smaller. Like I think you have to make at least a $25,000 investment in some of these marketplaces. Then the marketplace goes and, you know, they've got properties that they are managing. And then those 
the collection of, of investors will then make a cut. So it's like a, it's mm-hmm. a crowdfunding for real estate, essentially, and everybody, you know, wins and loses uh, at the same time. And so the benefit mm-hmm. of that is like, you're not a landlord, you know, you don't have to pay a, a mortgage, find renters and all of that. What do you think? What, what does this really come down to for the person who's trying to decide between these two things? Again, it's relative, right? And, and, and not knowing the full situation of where she is, I would say the things to be considered are... You know, do you first of all have your basic emergency savings in place that no matter what happens with this, because it is a little bit more risky, that you have something to land on if this investment does not go well? So I would say the considerations that she can give to whether or not she does it individually or whether or not she does it with the group is the first of all, do the due diligence on the group ask for financial statements, ask for information that gives her a real good idea that this is a sound company or these are a sound group of people that she is joining in with. So do the due diligence, understand what it is, how you invest and how you get your return, how long you got to wait to get your return, understanding that before you make the investment. And then if she's got the basics in place, her emergency savings in place, her retirement is set and sound. There's just some steps I think you get to before you start talking about alternative investing. And if she's done all of those things, then, you know, that may be a good way for her to go. Right. I mean, really think long and hard about whether you want to be a landlord or not. That's a real... Mm-hmm. That's a real thing. That's very different in, in either way you go. Last but not least, Rosalind, annuities. You know, I said earlier, I don't invest in things I don't really understand. And I have to say, I don't really understand annuities all of the time. Although I know they can be beneficial to some investors. I would love for you to give us the real quick on annuities and Maybe the myth that you want to bust about them, because I think there's a lot in the market about like, oh, they're expensive and they're riddled with fees. I don't know. You know, tell me a little bit about why you're a fan for some investors, why this could be a smart choice when it comes to investing. An annuity is a contract with an insurance company or other company, financial institution where they say, if you give us X amount of dollars, which is known as the premium, so you pay this much to us, and what we will do from what you give us, based on what you give us, is we will guarantee you income for the rest of your life based on that premium. And if you think about the fact that all of us are going to need income for as long as we live, we don't know how long we're going to live, and we don't know... I am a fan of having whatever your necessities are, perhaps using a portion of your assets to make sure that you provide for those necessities that you know you're going to have. It offers guaranteed income. It hedges against that whole longevity risk because we don't know how long we're going to live. It provides a steady cash flow to you. Yes, you do pay fees for that. 
So um, there are some special considerations that need to be given when you start talking about annuities. And it doesn't sound like this is something that anyone should do on their own. This is uh, something that really needs to be, you need to put all the heads together on this one. It's a conversation. It is a conversation. Rosalind, thank you so much for joining us. I want to say to everybody too, that there's a really fun link. You can check out prudential.com slash so money, where we have more of our insights for you there. This concludes our month-long Prudential Women's History Month So Money series on Fridays. It's been really, really fun and insightful to sit down with such smart, intelligent women and talk about my favorite topic, money. So thank you for giving us a nice send-off here, Rosalind. It was a pleasure to meet you and uh, wishing you continued success. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed the conversation and best wishes to you too, Francis.